good morning, redeemed saints. Good morning, redeemed sinners. Paul has a problem with the Corinthian church. If the Corinthian church was a Presbyterian church, it would probably have an administrative commission come in from the Presbytery and take control of it because it's so unruly. Now last week we noted that there were all types of divisions within that Corinthian church. It was Paul's special child. They were segregated by ethnicity, by wealth, social status and standing, between slave owners and the slaves, those who had higher social, economic, or political clout got their way in how the church operated. It determined where you sat in worship. It determined who gets the Lord's Supper first. Paul is frustrated. And all of this division, all this segregation is the impetus for Paul writing these letters to the Corinthians to begin with. This morning, our scripture lesson is probably was one you, that you've probably heard at weddings all the time. You could probably say it with me. But unfortunately, when we hear this text at weddings, we are not hearing it in the context in which this scripture is originally written. This morning, we're going to get to the context. As you listen to this scripture, I want you to listen or read it for the issues of segregation by spiritual gifts. You see, now the church is beginning to discriminate on who has the better spiritual gifts. My gift is better than yours. And Paul, oh God bless him, he's had it. Now as I read our text this morning, I'm going to parenthetically add words in the reading that as you're reading along are not in your Scripture. But they are in the understanding of the first century people in Corinth. But I'm going to add these words parenthetically to make sure we get it. You'll be able to pick it up and see what I'm talking about. Listen to the word of the Lord. We begin with 12 verse 31. Picking up from last week. Paul writes... But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the gift of tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the spiritual gift of prophetic power, and if I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have all the faith so as to move mountains. If I have love, I do nothing. 
If I have the gift to give away all my possessions and hand my body over to, in order to I can boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing whatsoever. You see, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The gift of love never ends. But as for the gift of prophecy, it will come to an end. As for the gift of tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror very, very dimly. But when Jesus comes again, we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. But when Jesus comes again, then I will know fully as God has fully known me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, verses 1 through 3 outline what the church felt were the most important gifts in the church. Paul begins right away saying, okay, all of y'all, you think these are the primary gifts, the most important ones, and even some churches today will make these their primary gifts and the most important ones. For the Corinthians... The most important gift is speaking in tongues, that is, an intelligible prayer language. That was the premier. You've arrived as a Christian if you can speak in tongues. And this was followed by the prestige of the gift of prophecy. And then this was followed by the spiritual gift of faith. Followed by the gift of knowledge and liberality. So that's the opening part. Paul is saying, okay, Corinthians, this is the chunk of, these are the gifts you think are the most important for the church and for the gospel. And then in verses 4 through 7, Paul does something here. He, he inserts something in that we kind of go, wait a minute, we're not, we're, we don't get it yet. But Paul slips this in after all these wonderful gifts the church holds so dear. Paul slips this in and he says, this is what love looks like. In the biblical paraphrase, the message of the late pastor, linguist, and author, Eugene Peterson, he describes love like this. Love never gives up. 
Love cares for more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. And it never looks back. But keeps going to the end. The church's opinion of what's important, Paul's definition of what love is, and then in chapter 13, the very last paragraph, Paul contextualizes love and why he slipped it in the middle. Unlike what we think about at weddings when we hear this scripture, it has nothing to do with sentimentality and love. Like we think of it. Oh, Bobby, I love you. Oh, Mary Beth, I love you. That's not it. It's not that kind of love. You see, it is a spiritual gift that takes precedent over every other gift. All this talk about looking in a mirror dimly and thinking like a child and then growing mature is Paul's shorthand way of saying, you know, one day Jesus is coming again and the only gifts of faith that are necessary are faith, hope, and most of all, love. You see, when we all get to heaven, we're not going to need to speak in special language. We will not need to study Because we will be in the presence of knowledge itself. You see, God wants His beloved, you, me, to have the same gift that God exhibited since the foundation of the world. And that is what? Love. When we meet Jesus one day, Paul is telling us we will experience firsthand the most precious gift that God gives His beloved. Love. All those other gifts pale. All those other gifts won't be necessary. Now, on this beautiful morning when Agana's rain from the trees... I'm aware that the English language has more words to describe the temperature than we do for the word love. There's freezing, there's cold, there's cool, there's tepid, there's warm, there's hot, there's scalding. And then what do we have for love? I love you. We've lost it. We've lost the power of that word. We banter it about like a shuttlecock in a badminton game. It's lost its meaning. 
The only way we can differentiate between the different types of love is the tone we give it when we speak it. I love you. Hey, baby. I love you. Hey, man, I love you. You see, the problem in our culture is we use the same word for love that describes how we feel from everything from gelato, our dog, the TV show, the weather, football, to our spouse and our partner. One word covers all of that. Do I love gelato as much as I love Kelly? No. Some days. No, just kidding. No. Do I love football more than the church? No. My friends, in Paul's time, there were four words that were used to describe love, the concept of love. Four different words. We've got one. In Paul's time, there were four. First, there is eros, a romantic, passionate love. Then there's storge, which is the natural affection that one has for something nice or pleasant. There's phileo, which describes the affection between two close friends. It's brotherly, sisterly love. And finally, there's agape. Agape. This word for love was not used very often in Greek literature. But interestingly enough, in the New Testament, that word is used over 300 times. Do you wonder why? Why is it so pronounced in the New Testament? You see, I believe, I believe it's used so many times in the New Testament because agape describes the very essence and the character of Jesus and God. Hear that again. Agape describes the very essence, the isness and character of Jesus and God. You see, agape love is intentional. Agape love is sacrificial. It is difficult. It costs the giver something. Agape love is inconvenient to express. Agape love requires the lover to totally empty his or herself of everything else and gives love back to the world. You see, agape is the depth of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross for you and for me. You want to know agape? Look at the empty cross. 
Friends, the whole upshot is this. When the church, when the church, those rapscallion Corinthians of First Church Corinth, as well as of First Pres Fort Lauderdale, as long as we manifest this gift of love, of agape, to one another, across the aisles and back and forth, and out into the world, all forms of division, all forms of segregation, all forms of grading who's better than others disappears. Love is the great leveler. All those doctrinal issues the world thinks is important, all the arguments theologically that we think our faith depends on, they in the end mean nothing. Why? Because it's trumped by love. Friends, I want you to look around the room right now. Literally, it's not rhetorical. Look around the room. I want you to look at faces. Look at faces. You see the faces of people who have certain spiritual giftedness. They have spiritual gifts. Everyone in this room has a gift. Some are great teachers. Some are great leaders. Some are great givers, while others have the spiritual gift of service and compassion or the gift of evangelism. No one's gift is better than someone else's gift. They are all needed. They all come together, like we said last week, as a body of Christ. We need all of those gifts. You see, if we unify all these gifts together, we show the world what it means to be unified in Christ and community. If we can't show unity with gifts in the church, we can't do it out there. Think of it this way. In order to graduate spiritual high school, Okay? In order to walk across the stage in spiritual high school, a Christ follower, you and me, we need to know and use his or her spiritual gift that God has given us. If we want to grow up from being children and infants, and we want to graduate spiritual high school, we have to know our gift, and we have to use it. Now, in order to graduate spiritual graduate school, it means that a follower of Jesus worships and serves in a community, a church that loves agapegetically. I just made up a word. Agapegetically. When we do that, when we do that, 
We are working with God within the community. And we are showing the world together a little bit of what heaven looks like. So the question is this. Ask yourself, as a Christ follower, do I speak like a child? Think like a child. Reason like a child. Or have I graduated? And I clearly see the Lord face to face. For the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel, let's chew on that question this week. The answer determines a lot. And all of God's people say it. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, everybody has been blessed by you with a certain charisma, a certain gift. Lord, we want to be a devoted follower of Jesus, and that means, oh Lord, we got to know our gift. But Lord, help us use that gift. But in doing so, Lord, may we not be prideful of the gift that we have. Let us always hold our gift in light of the gift of love. The gift all of us have. If we would just open it up. Oh Lord, help us to be the light in the world that we can be. But we ask this in His powerful name. In the name of Jesus. All of God's people say it. Amen. Friends, let's sing with joy our closing hymn.